such a beautiful spirit that is permeating this place today. That's what makes church church. I thought while the music and the songs went by, you could you can have music and you can have songs, but you don't always have the same effect. But I thought that, you know, really the only difference between noise and music, I can make noise on this piano that Sister Ballesteros was playing. If I sit down and do anything, it would be noise. But the only difference between noise and music is order and rhythm. I mean, I, I can hit all the same notes she did, out of rhythm and out of place, and you get noise. But when she puts them in order and rhythm, you have music. And uh, I thought that's what God does. You can take all things religious and have them there and participating and not have the first touch of God whatsoever. But again, it is order and rhythm that makes the difference. And we're feeling a whole lot of order and rhythm here today. If you're not, I am. Praise the Lord. I needed some of what's already went on here today, amen, for my own sake. Praise God. And there's been a beautiful melody that the Lord has been playing night after night as these brethren have preached to us. I don't, uh, I know that sometimes we get maybe feeling like it's just so much uh, cliche, but I really believe this is one of the better conferences that I have ever been in. I'm hearing a clear, distinct sound from the Holy Ghost. Amen. I feel that sometimes there is a tremendous danger in not acknowledging the Spirit of the Holy Ghost and the message that He brings. Praise the Lord. Amen. Disannulled His message, and you have disannulled the anointing and God's plan of salvation. Matter of fact, that's what Brother Wade preached to us the first night about the preservation of the posterity of Pentecost. Amen. I'm glad that there's still some preachers. Praise the Lord. How shall they hear without a preacher still in the book? Amen. Praise God. And then Brother Mead, Brother Terry Mead's tremendous Bible class. Amen. Under the influence. And uh, all of us from time to time have tasted that wine in our mouth. Say what you want to say. Hallelujah. But Jesus, when he knew what it was, spit it out. Praise God. And then last night, I thrilled all over one more time. This is a holy place. And uh, a long time before the conference, I have been trying to, I don't know how it is everybody else, but I have to feel uh, something about what I'm doing. I have had messages that I knew that, you know, this would, for the situation in my church, that this would, but I couldn't feel to do it. 
And uh, when what I have, they originally begin to form in my mind what little bit has been. That one of my problems today is that it ain't all formed. And, uh, and I said, now this is, seems to be totally out of place, but then I had to think, who in the world am I to start with? I began to dictate to God what He wants. And so today, um, I mean it with all gravity and sincerity, and I bring to you my very inadequate ability to bring something that I realize may not thrill you through and through. You know, I was reading a little book Mr. Nixon had written about in the arena. He said that in the hour we live now that speech writers today uh, build cheer lines into their speeches. In other words, that this point will bring an applause. And uh, you judge by how many applauses you get out of that, how many cheer lines are in there. And in essence, not a whole lot was said, but you got a lot of applause. But from all judgment, it was great. And he said, that's one of the problems with the speech makers today. They must put the cheer lines in because of a, something that people just uh, sit down and contemplate gives you bad ratings. So I don't know how many applause lines are going to be built in this today, but if you'll help me, I need your help. And most of all, I need his help today. Amen. I will thank Brother Schaefer for singing the song he started with. That helped me tremendously today. We're standing on holy ground. And I know that there are angels all around. Would you stand with me, please? Turning to 1 Corinthians today. Praise God. Is this mic on here? Praise the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Somebody mind getting me a little water, please? Very much. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm reading at verse 1. These are not unfamiliar scriptures to you. I know that they are very familiar. But let's read them again today as you follow me in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I to have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, 
and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Praise the Lord. I, especially from these readings today, want to draw your attention to verse 10 for this cause, and that's talking all that led up about the hair, the woman's hair, led up to this verse, for this cause, all the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Because of the angels. Thank you. I don't know about you, but you're made out of different material I am. If you can read verse 10, and it don't make you stop. A question automatically has to be asked. For this cause, ought a woman have power on her head because of the angels. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Because of the angels. Would you again reach as far as you can reach in your sincerity and ask God to help me? Would you do that today? Jesus, thank you today. God, I thank you, Lord, Jesus. For your goodness and your mercy, God, your grace. God, somehow help us to remember again this is a holy place. God, that you would again instruct us in righteousness and lead us into the understanding that we so desperately need today. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Praise God. Thank you kindly. You may be seated. It's not by hearsay, but I know personally myself, and if you'll be honest, you also know that the trouble with carnality is that it is blinded to the way of God. It does not have the ability to see things as God sees things. If spirituality is anything, it is that. It is seeing things as God sees things. And if carnality is anything, it is simply being or not able to perceive things from God's eye view. Hallelujah. Some people have disoriented themselves into believing what spirituality was and certain maneuvers and certain wordings, but there is no spirituality that can ever take place in your life until that you begin to see things as God sees things, as you begin to feel things as God feels things. Praise the Lord. That is true spirituality. Praise God. The Bible said that carnal man cannot understand these scriptures. Because it is foolishness to them. Praise God. They, man, when he even tries to become religious in and of himself, he begins to view things from his perspective. He has a, that's where the whole concept of humanism is all about. Amen. It's because it means just what it says. The very word ought to scare you to death to get caught up in it to begin with. Humanism. We're not here about humanism. We're here about godliness. Hallelujah. The Lord said, then, if you ever think any other way about it, then you're thinking wrong. But when you begin to try to view things from your perspective and try to diagnose things simply from your logical standpoint, you're on your way out with God. For I have to go back time and time again and put my finger on that Scripture that God said, I want you to understand this, boy. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As far as the heaven is above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts above yours. What I'm trying to say is there are some things in God's church that there is no logical explanation for. They were put there by God for Him. Well, it'd be like, you know, the little Ford emblem on the grill of the truck or the car, whatever it is. Now, if you, if you logically begin to look at that little blue emblem and logically begin to contemplate what part it has to play in an automobile, 
If you try to line it up with what it does for gas mileage, the air conditioning or the, the uh, RPM or the horsepower, you're going to find in a little while it has absolutely nothing to do with it. But when the designer sat down, they may have drew it first and drew the rest of the car around it. It is there because its maker. And it is a hallmark of its maker. It is not put there for gas economy. It is not put in there to make the seat more comfortable. It is not put in there to make it do 95. It is put there as an insignia of its maker. It is an advertisement that this car was made by Ford. And there could be some Yahoo down on the assembly line that just logically begins to, his job is putting them on. And somebody could say, what good are you doing to this product? And they can logically explain to him, your job is not affecting this outfit. What is your purpose on this assembly line? You don't make it run faster? You don't make it run better? Seats are no more comfortable? But let that Yahoo just quit doing that. And one of the top brass CEOs going to be down at his counter saying, Hey, bub, is it your job to put the emblem on the grill? Yes, sir. But you know, really, we save a lot of money by if we just do away with that. And I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm out for company. I'm out for your good. Don't you see that? I mean, we could save up millions of dollars by doing away with these decals and these ornaments that go on the grill. They're going to show him the front gate. And say, go down to Shipley's Donut and see if they can use you there. And maybe you can put some holes in some donuts. Do something worthwhile. What I'm saying is there are some things in God's church that you cannot logically contemplate and come up with a reason. But I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven that said, this is my hallmark. This is my church. This is our genetic brand. It is name brand. And that's exactly what a lot of preachers are doing today. They're refusing to put the emblem on this thing because they can't logically explain why. But 
telling you, God looks down. He says, I want to see my hallmark. I want to see my emblem. I want it on the grill. Hallelujah. I am sick to hear with logic. There are some things in God's church that's for His pleasure. Praise God. You can be seated. Please help me see from God's eye of you. He's the CEO of this. He's the chairman of the board. He's the only wise God. And if he wants it on the grill, you better have it on the grill. Hallelujah. That's exactly why the Apostle Paul starts this very thing out. Be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember in me all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Don't change it one order. Keep it in mint condition. This word ordinance, same thing as tradition, same word. In Second uh, Thessalonians 2.15 it says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught. Whether by word or our epistle. I refuse to be intimidated in this hour to be ashamed of the word ordinance or tradition. These are the very things being ridiculed today. Oh, that's just tradition. Hallelujah. And so it says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Trinitarians better tear that one out of the book. They can't handle it. It makes Jesus Christ subordinate. All three co-equal Godhead. Hallelujah. That word head there, of course, it really means two different things. First off, it means authority. It also means origin. It means where it comes from. That the head or the origin of every man is Christ. He's also the authority of every man. Even though every man is not under his authority. But he is from God. And that the woman, her authority is the man. What it says is the head. And also her origin is from the man. 
The man did not come for the woman, but the woman from man. Is what it says. And there it also speaks of origin that man came from Christ, but we're made in God's image. And the woman came from man. You know that. Amen. And so here it says that the man is drawing the distinctions here between man and woman. And he says that the man is the image and the glory of God. Now, notice what it says about the woman. The woman is the glory of the man. It does not say she is the man's image. It says she is the glory of the man. And then the whole context here is dealing with something that this world calls stupid. And it's dealing with hair. You can't cut it any other way. It's there. And he goes into this description of what the maker of this church wants. And he says that the man should not be covered. And the woman is to be covered. Now, in case there's somebody that wants to argue about it, the covering there is definitely the hair. Hallelujah. And if you try to make it any other thing than that, you have got a passerful of false doctrine in your cart. It is, somebody said, well, it doesn't say the covering, it says a covering. That means that'd be something, oh, how dumb can a cluck get? It is the, without any reservation, the covering that's being spoken of here is the hair. And it said that that hair on the man was to be uncovered. That's also the covering it's talking about on the man, too. Not just the woman. And the man uncovers by cutting his hair. And the woman covers by not cutting hers. Now, the question that automatically pops up in that statement is this. Covers what? Or uncovers what? The only thing you can come up with from this book is, man is not to cover the image and the glory of God. An uncut hair on a man would be considered a covering. Verse 14, Doth not even nature itself teach you? If nature teaches it, bless your heart, a preacher sure ought to preach it. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? Why is it a shame? Because he has covered his head. And what has he covered? He has covered the image 
and the glory of God. He said, well, I don't make no sense to me. I said, that's because you're sitting on the place from your perspective and not from God's. And the woman was the cover. The keep covered man's glory. Uncover the glory of God. Cover the glory of man. That's what it says. So on a man, when that hair is uncut, then he is considered a covering. So the ordinance is, man uncovered, keep his hair cut. Woman covered, keep her hair uncut. And if a man covers his head, he has dishonored his head. If he covers his physical head, he has dishonored his spiritual head, which is Christ. If he covers the image and the glory of God by not cutting his hair and keeping it cut, then he has dishonored his head. Praise the Lord. That is one of the most striking things that you'll find about Absalom in this Bible. The Bible makes it very clear one thing about Absalom, and that is that he never had any respect for his own father. And his very mark of rebellion was on his head. He was in rebellion against his father, against kingship, against the only man that restored him to the kingdom. He would not have been there if David had not taken mercy and brought him into the kingdom. But he had disrespect to his father, the kingship of his father. He dishonored his own origin, his own father, the king. Say what you want to say, my friend, but when God looks down at hair on a man that is uncut. It is a disrespect to the kingship and to the fathership and to the origin of every man. Hallelujah. Because he has covered the image and the glory of God. Hallelujah. But if a woman uncovers, she is exposing man's glory. And she dishonors her origin, which is the man, which is the image, and the glory of God. So now I've got two glories standing up. The glory of God and the glory of man contrasting two. And so the world covers the glory of God by man not cutting his hair. And the woman cuts her hair exposing the glory of God and all there is in their religion is the glory of man. 
There are some instances in the Old Testament where that women were uncovered for certain things. Deuteronomy it said, talking about when they were to maybe take a captive. And it said, And seest among the captives a beautiful woman, and that's a desire unto her that thou wouldest have her to thy wife. Then thou shalt bring her home to thy house, and she shall shave her head and pare her nails. He is her captor. That man's ability, strength, has prevailed over her. Man's glory is in exposition. There's a reason why not only did she shave her head, they pared her nails. That's to keep her from scratching his eyeballs out for a while. Oh, yeah, it was. Because that's a captive. And until you can subdue her, hopefully by the time her nails go back out, that you'll have her in subjection. But she has shown that the man, the glory of man, has prevailed over her, and her head is shaven. And in Numbers, there is one that it would be that a woman would have committed adultery. It said that there was a test. And that the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and shall uncover the woman's head and put the offering of a moral in her hands, which is a jealousy offering. And the priest shall have in his hand the bitter water that causeth the curse. And she's going to drink that. And if she is guilty, she is going to suffer the penalty. But her head is uncovered. It is the mark of shame for an adulteress. Why? Because she has damaged her husband's glory. And so her head is uncovered. Y'all still with me today? And so the whole point of what the Apostle is writing here is, not from your standpoint, but from God's standpoint, that there's one thing that better be covered up in His sight, and that is the glory of man. And then it says this, For this cause, ought the woman to have power in her head. It's talking about that covering. Because of the angels. And I said, when you read that, if you can just read that and just keep on rolling, rolling your boat, there's something wrong with the way you read. Because all night you got to go, because of the angels? What have they got to do with it? If you don't ask yourself that when you read that, there's something wrong with the way you read. And the thing that makes me flat mad about it, he, he wrote it like I'm supposed to understand what he's talking about. Well, he did. Look how he wrote it. He said, for this cause, ought woman to have power on the head because of the angel. Okay, all right. He wrote it just like I knew just what he was talking about. Because of it. What have angels got to do with it? Look how casually words that. He didn't. He just puts a, a period there. He didn't put any explanation about that. He just said, just because of the angels. 
Just like we tell our kids sometimes, why did I go to stock calls? I said to, that's why. Just because. And there have probably been more different interpretations off that one little thing that you can shake a stick at. Why did you do that, Paul? I heard somebody say that the reason causes the angels is because that if the woman is uncovered, it makes the angels lust after them. Oh, that is right. And then for Bible to use that where the sons of God saw the daughters of men and took them to wife. Oh. And so you're supposed to keep hair on your head covered, ladies, to keep the angel from lusting after you. Another interpretation is that because if they see, because you are going against the authority of your head, that that will cause them to riot against their authority. In other words, there will be another riot in heaven because you instigated it by cutting your hair. Oh, it is taught. He ain't got no book for it. Calls of the angels, tempting them to be disobedient because you are. If that's the truth, angels wouldn't stand a chance, no how. And then another one is that what it means there is that, of course, they take the word angel and mean that it means preacher, and that's for the cause of visiting preachers. When preachers come, it, it ought to be that women are covered for. They're saying, well, that's, that's dumb. If a preacher never visits your church, you ought to keep it straight anyhow. Of course, you can't ought to keep it straight without some help anyway, but that's not what it's there for. And so that's the end of my Bible study. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> Praise God. No, it is plain. At least it is in the writing anyway. The woman is to keep her hair uncut. You, you can't miss this perspective that it is uncut to provide a covering, and that covering covers the glory of man. And the man keeps his uncut to exhibit the glory of God. He said, judging yourselves. Is it comely? The word comely just means suitable. Is it suitable or pleasing or becoming for a woman when she prays or prophesies to have her head uncovered? And somebody said, well, it's just when you pray or prophesy. No, he's talking about when you are, doesn't it, judging yourself, when you are in spiritual activity. Doing the things of God, when you are in direct disobedience, how can it be becoming against God? It doesn't mean that your hair is to be cut any other time and just praying and prophesying. It means on the high plateau of spiritual things, judge it from that perspective. That's why some people, they wear a hat and they take it off when they go out of church. Well, that's, that's crazy. And it's because of the angels. Like I said, you've got to stop her and say, 
What have they got to do with it? That'd be like my wife just uh, saying to me, go mow the yard because of the Wilkerson's. If I have no idea who the Wilkerson's are, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. I understand the first part of it, mow the yard. But that added, extra added thing there just puts me in a dilemma. What's the Wilkerson's got to do with me mowing the yard? And that's what that statement will do to you. Because of the angels. I'd have to find out what the Wilkerson's had to do with it before it'd make any sense to me. Now, I'd understand a whole lot better in a situation that where I went in maybe visit a factory, and you know you've got to have a visitor's badge pinned on you. They said, the woman that pins that on there says, Now, wear this wherever you go through the factory because of the gatekeepers. That makes a lot more sense to me because I realize that that, that thing there is going to talk to them. I would, I would understand I'm wearing this. It don't add anything to me specifically, but it's because of the position that I run into with those gatekeepers. They'll notice this and realize that I have the ability to come here and go there. That makes more sense, right? If you, because you understand the position, the function of the individual. It'd be the same thing as saying, "Stop at the red light because of the police." That makes a lot of sense, don't it? You're not in a quandary about that statement. That's perfectly clear. Why? Because you understand the function of the police. In other words, it is for the office or position of those angels that a woman is to have power in her head. That's what it says. And again, do you understand any form of government, and God has government, do you understand any form of government, it must be understood from the top down. You cannot understand any government from the bottom up. It must be understood from the top down. God has government, not only just in this earthly reign, but he also has heavenly government. Oh, yes, he does. And when you can understand the, the, the government from the top down, then it makes sense. But if you're just somewhere out there on the bottom line out there that's under somebody and you don't understand what's above you and what's over you, the government would never make sense to you. And so the first thing you've got to understand is that what we are looking at here is some type of government from God. Jacob saw a little bit of that unseen process. He saw that ladder. That wasn't a literal ladder. But in that vision, he saw a little bit of the working of God, the throne of God. Angels coming down, angels going up. They were on specific missions, doing certain things, directed from the throne of grace to the earth below. We are standing on holy ground, and there are angels all around. You find out in a hurry in the Bible that messengers are 
angels were in different specific uh, functions, messengers. You find that they are also guardians. That's the first thing you learn, that when that man was drove out of the garden, that God set those cherubim with flaming sword. Even the devil quoted one of those guardian verses to the Lord. He said, cast yourself down. Satan knew what he's talking about here, because he knew about that government. He said, because he'll not allow you to dash your foot against the song for the angels will bear the other. We get so we're spooked by the word angels. That all belongs to charismatic. No, it belongs to us. Hallelujah. It talked about that the little children, those guardian angels that they're always beholding their father's face in heaven, that's in your life. It shows that there are unseen witnesses in every covenant God ever made with man. Just to read a couple of them. Somebody get for me Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4 and 6. Somebody right here real quick, would you please? Brother Cadmus, can you get that for me? Brother Kitchens, get for me. 1 Timothy 5, 21. They are there. God can make the covenant by Himself, but even then He has angels that witness covenants with man. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. You observe these things. He threw them in that part of He threw them into the pact. And then the last thing that I want to bring to you about these angels is they are always agents of God's judgment. And any time you find judgment executed in this Bible, there are, is one thing you cannot separate from judgment, and that is man's glory. If there's anything God hates, if there's anything that makes the angels cringe, it is for man to exalt himself in the sight of God. No wonder it says perilous times shall come. And the first rattle out of the box, the first accusation is that men shall be lovers of their own selves. We are in perilous times. Never has there been such a fleshly generation. Never has there been such an influence of man's glory as this one is. And I'm not just talking about honky-tonks. I'm not just talking about in that world per se. I'm talking about in religion. I'm talking about what's supposed to be in God's house. This is a nutshell reason of perilous times. He used to read that verse and it said, The angels rejoice 
over one sinner that repents. I used to say, why do the angels care? Why would they be interested in man's repentance? Why are they concerned that I repent? They won't lose their estate, regardless of what I do. Why do they get happy? Because I repent. One of the first actions of God against man in this Bible was that God looked down on the earth and they had gathered themselves together and they began to put stone upon stone. From mortar they had slime and they began to build a tower to reach into the heavens. Somebody, if you think for one moment that you think that they were trying to get into heaven itself, you're wrong. What it was that they were making a monument to the name of man. Matter of fact, that is the very expression that they use. Come, let us make a name for ourselves. And God said to the angels, Come on, let's go down. I want you to understand, angels, from henceforth and forever, there is one thing I detest, and that is man exalting himself into the heavens. And throughout the long concourse of this book, judgment reverberates from every page against the glory of man, pitting itself against the glory of God. Oh, last night I thought, this is a holy place. Please, God, let man's glory be covered. When the angels look down, let them see the image and the glory of God, but don't let them see man's glory. Nebuchadnezzar stood on his balcony and looked at the empire. He said, By my might, by my power, and for my majesty. I said, Come on, boys. Two of you grab his legs. Jerk him out from my dream. Put him on his all fours. Pass your hand over him. Make his hair grow like feathers. His claws like eagle's talons. Now stir up his appetite and let him eat. And he ate grass like an ox. Just seven times had passed over him God's number of completeness. 
seven times it passed. The rain settled on me. Didn't have a sense to get out of the rain. Where's your majesty now, sir? Where's your might now, king? Cover that man's glory. Don't let it be exposed in my sight. Hallelujah. One of the most striking verses of Scripture that exactly show what I'm talking happened to a man named Herod. And upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God! And not of a man. Know what the next verse says? And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten in worms and gave up the ghost. While he stood there, this is, you know, the other times, Bible, God leads the angels down. Even from the, the time of Nebuchadnezzar, they came and put him on his all fours. But this time, an angel stood by this man. As he began to speak uh, and made an oration, the moment the people cried out, it's the, it, it's the voice of a God and not a man, and saw him accept that, that angel drew back and cold-cocked him. Yes, he did. He put him down then. It said, I mean, you can see it. It said immediately. He didn't say God said get him. It just said immediately the angel smote him. I know, God, you hate this. Smite him. I know you abhorred God. I don't have to wait for a command. Bring him down. If there is any one thing that's brought down organizations and churches and people and preachers, it's been man exalted himself in the presence of God. Would you lift your hands and help me right here a little bit? Let's pray. Hallelujah. If we could ever see how much God hates man exalting his flesh. You may be seated. Hallelujah. I don't believe anything brings swifter judgment. God has gone a long way with people that erred against him. But there is short patience in God from the glory of man. First Corinthians one twenty nine said that no flesh should glory in his presence. The presence of the Lord filled that holy place. And they could not minister for his presence. God said he just put them down and said, No glory going to you. It's all going to be my glory.
His glory He will not share. Not one little speck of it with anyone. That is according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Paul said, if I boast, I'm making my boast in the cross. I'll refuse to elevate myself. Because I know, that's why I'm telling you this ordinance is, women, when God looks down in the church, the insignia of the covering says man's glory is hidden in the way. And here we are here to glorify God. If it doesn't teach that, I don't know what it teaches. I think that's one of the reasons that the Bible said even that angels themselves said one place a cherubim with those four wings that at throne two of those wings they cover their feet. If angels cover themselves in the presence of God, how do you think we're going to get by without it? I'll think a little bit more about what angels rejoice over sinner repents. When he sees a man abase himself in the presence of God, he knows the judgment sword won't have to be unsheathed. For the glory truly belongs to God. You see, Paul and Barnabas had the same opportunity as Herod did on even a much larger scale. Because when the miracle was wrought on that man, this whole city that was given to idolatry quickly now looked at them in a different light. And they said, Jupiter has come down. And Mercury has come down. They're gods. And they began to do sacrifice to them. Even an angel was standing by with his hand gripped around the heath of the shore. What are you going to do, boys? You got a whole city at your feet. You going to take their worship? Immediately they begin to rend their clothes. Don't do this. They beg you, we're flesh like you are. Give glory to God. God did this. And immediately the angel's hand dropped from the hilt of the sword and smiled if an angel can smile. Came across his face. He can rejoice. I'm pretty sure he can smile. Hallelujah. Here's somebody giving glory to where it belongs. Here's somebody giving glory to where it belongs. It is one thing that this generation's ate up with. It is that the glory of man is predominant in their services. I don't care if you've got a gift from God. You can't keep it if you can't keep yourself giving Him the glory. 
Hallelujah! You can be seated. I read years ago that that black man on Azusa Street Mission, Seymour, is that his name? And one of the things I remember about him was he said when he prayed, he stuck his head up into an empty crate to pray. Miracle after miracle, people filled with the Holy Ghost all over the world get ignited. But a man that kept his head in a crate was honored by God. It's too easy to get a transference sometimes in our lives for the things that God does to transfer them to us. My Bible said, Let every man minister according to the ability that God gave him. I know education plays a part and all the rest of it, but God put all that together for you. And without the anointing of God, you can do nothing. But if we're not careful, sometimes we'll take that transference and have worship at our feet that ought not belong there. So if we would see Jesus! Hallelujah. I think, I think you know well, too, there have been men that were giants that were used of God that fell because they could not handle that one thing. And when a woman cuts her hair, she exposes one of the most hated things in the sight of God, the glory of man. Judge in yourselves. Is it comely? Is it? I think not. Angels have never ministered to nor for the glory of man. And they never will. Hallelujah. In the tabernacle, there was that holy place again. The holiest of holies was the ark and the angels and the covering. Those angels are one with his back to the north, the other one to the south. We overhead touching each other the faces are toward each other but looking down into a mercy seat and that mercy seat is a covering and there beneath that seat were the tablets of the law an omer of manna and Aaron's rod that had budded this is a peculiar box, if you'll let me use the word. Men make boxes to house the important. The outside is not the important. What you put in the box is important. But my ways are not your ways. 
My thoughts are not your thoughts. This is the box where the outside was the most precious. Those things were in the ark so they could be covered. Not to be preserved, forsake for its preciousness content, for the real preciousness is on the outside of this box. And on the inside of that box was tablets of what Paul called one place carnal commandment that man by his flesh could never keep. But he tried. Jesus hated the Pharisees and scribes that thought they could. And there was the manna that gave natural man his sustenance through the trekking of a wilderness. You wouldn't have made it if I hadn't put something in there for you to eat. And then there was Aaron's rod. And that rod was a testimony against rebels that rebelled against the plan of God. Man that rose up in opposition against God's plan is why it was put in there. If angels one more time looked on man's transgression against God against the law and natural man. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So the angels are kept seeing that. These on the top of the heart. And what they're looking is a place where blood splatters. And they see the blood and they see nothing, for it is covered. Angels better not come in here and see man's glory. And so Paul said, I'm telling you to keep you in constant remembrance. Ladies, keep your head covered. To always remember that God has received the glory in this place. That when you look around, it is to be the image and the glory of God, but man's glory, what you have done. Even I have been to camp meetings where they made me sick to hear. Even with all their, their passing by the pulpit with politicians and all the rest until I felt sick on the inside. Oh, somehow let somebody up and tell me about Jesus! I'm just about through. If you can bear with me just a few moments. People in the time of Jesus were, you know, we're, we're more familiar with the tabernacle than we are the temple. But in Jesus' time, the people that He dealt with were more familiar with the temple than they were the tabernacle. The tabernacle had been gone a long time when uh, that generation that Jesus walked in the shores of Galilee, the temple was the thing they were more familiar with. And there were some differences in the temple and the tabernacle. And uh, as I read the other day, I found something that instantly struck a chord with me in First Kings chapter 6. This is part of the makeup in the, again, that holy place. And here it's called the oracle called the oracle because that was where God was to speak with them. And within the oracle, he made two 
cherubim of olive tree, each ten cubits high, and five cubits was the one wing of the cherub, and five cubits the other wing of the cherub. From the uttermost part of the one wing unto the uttermost part of the other were ten cubits, and the other cherub was ten cubits. Both the cherubim were of one measure and one size. The height of one cherub was ten cubits, and so was it of the other cherub. And he set the cherubim within the inner house, and they stretched forth the wings of the cherubim, so that the wing of one touched the one wall, and the wing of the other cherub touched the other wall, and their wings touched one another in the midst of the house. And he overlaid the cherubim with gold, and he carved all the walls of the house round about with carved figures of cherubim, and palm trees and open flowers within and without. Verse 32, The two doors also were of olive trees, and he carved upon them carvings of cherubim. Verse 35, And he carved their own cherubim, all in that holy place. The walls are carved with angels. The door itself is carved with palm trees and angels. But... When you walked in this place, this was the holiest holy. It was unlike the tabernacle because in this permanent dwelling place, the thing that struck you instantly when you walked in were two enormous cherubim, 15 foot tall, 15 foot wingspans. Its wing touched this wall. It went to the middle of the house. And from there it touched the wing of the other cherub. And that cherub's wing touched the other wall. Filled the whole room. Right beneath where those wings touched was the Ark of the Covenant. And there are cherubim there again, the same ones that was in the tabernacle. Their wings touching, looking down. When you went in there, you were instantly struck. Angels. Guardians, messengers, because of the angels. Something's watching over. Something is in the cord of God's watchful eye. What is this place? It's the holy place. And it's there that that high priest that Brother Kavanagh preached about last night. He's going to come now, but he better be right. He has clothing. He has that ephod, the white linen that goes to his ankles and sleeves come to his wrist. On top of that, he has the robe, that one with the pomegranates, bells, beautiful embroidered coat, and then on that was a breastplate, twelve beautiful stones, golden rings, and blue cord. On his head is a mitre. Cross right here on a big plate of gold. 
are the words standing out, holiness unto the Lord. Comes with blood. Holiness unto the Lord is head, signifying the glory of God. Sprinkles the blood. The angels watch in attendance. And all they see is Jesus Christ. The image and the glory. of God. Oh, if a man were to go in there as is going to happen, he should go into that temple and showing himself to be God. That is the whole spirit of Antichrist. Exalt your flesh. All they can see is Jesus, white linen of purity. All he's supposed to see the angels hovering in here today is Jesus. Man, you better not boast yourself. Please don't exalt man. Give glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, the high priest ever went in that said they had to be they had to be washed with pure water. So many people have read that about the baptism of Jesus, and, and I know that it is a type for maybe our baptism, but that's not the highest signification of that at all. He is our great high priest. He was not baptized for his sin. But this Levite boy, John, is going to wash him in pure water, beginning the ritual of the great high priest. Hallelujah. He was robed with the that a power. Amen. That never a seamless road. The ephod was a seamless road, the Bible said. That's what he had on. And then when they'd done that, they had to put blood on the high priest. They took the blood and they took it and put it here on his ear, on his right thumb, on his right big toe. Amen. And then nearly all things were purged with blood. And on that day that he hung on Calvary's tree, the thorn that pressed in his brow, I know one drop dropped across the ear. Yes, it did. Hallelujah. In his hands, the nail was driven, a thumb showing the blood mark of the high priest. Wait a minute. The big toe yet. It must also be sprinkled with blood. Spear into his side and full without came water. And blood down to his feet. 
the high priest is ready to enter the holy place. when that high priest come expect to see nothing but Jesus Christ. It is for this cause because of the angels. Would you stand with me please today? Hallelujah. We are standing on holy ground and I know there are angels all around. Hallelujah. Give God the glory. Give God the glory. To God belongs the glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. No wonder John said what he said. I must decrease. But he must increase. I'm going to read one more verse of Scripture to you before I go through here today. Revelation said, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. That's what you hear all the time. And to every nation, kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment is come and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea. And the fountains of waters and the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun. And the power was given him to scorch, scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God would have power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. I'll tell you the honest truth today. God will go a lot further. With a cigarette sucker, whiskey drinker, they'll ever go against the pious Pentecostal that exalts himself in the presence of God. Give God the glory. 